Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's February 10th, 2017, and you're listening to the best damn poker cast in the universe, no matter what the APA committee says. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. <laughs> hey, uh, what are we going to do with all that money? Because clearly we invented a time machine. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, it's uh, it's actually Saturday the 11th, but uh, we like to keep the dates consistent, because you were uh, getting drunk on Guinness somewhere, I think. Uh, yes, I did have uh, plenty of the O'Guinness. <laughs> the O'Guinness. The O'Guinness. Uh, no, I, I feel bad. I should have mentioned this on last week's show, because I know people were like, hey, the streak is over. Because <laughs> uh, we didn't post it until a day after we normally post, after we, the published date, two days after we normally post it. Right. Uh, but yes, I was in uh, Dublin, Ireland this week, and uh, had a great time. Uh, played no poker, though I did uh, walk past a couple of the poker rooms, um, and uh, had an enjoyable evening of drinking with uh, Annie Up superfan Rob Paul Chapman, who flew over from uh, London to, to say hi um, and have a couple pints with us. Wow. But uh, but yeah, so that, that's where I was this week, and that's why the show is late, and uh, deeply sorry, and particularly uh, sorry if uh, we have any fans in Dublin who would have gotten together with me. Uh, not that I don't think we would have had time uh, for too much of that, because we had a pretty busy schedule seeing as much as we could in uh, four nights. Very quick trip over there, but uh, it was fun. I had a good time. You know, it's one thing to roll out of bed and go to your local casino to hook up with one of us, but it's another thing entirely to fly from London to Dublin to have a pint with you. Yeah. <laughs> He's a super duper fan. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, and on top of that, he had his dates wrong. So he he brought a bunch of mates with him, uh, and they came over on Saturday, and he was making plans for this at dinner on Saturday. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, uh, we're not actually going to be there on a Saturday. You mean uh, Monday? And he's like. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. So he had the dates wrong, so his uh, mates had to go home, uh, but he extended the day so he could see us. So, uh, super, super fan. <laughs> super duper. Uh, fly over, but then also stay an extra day. That's pretty awesome. But you didn't get to play poker there. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't really research it much because I knew, you know, it, it was my wife and two of her friends, and, um, you know, we had a chock-full schedule of stuff that we wanted to get done, so I didn't even bother researching it because I knew I was going to have time to actually play, but um, but it was nice to, you know, walk around the town and, and see a couple of them. I mean, a couple of them were um, uh, kind of what I call, let's see, you haven't been to Deadwood, but they kind of looked like a Deadwood kind of casinos or uh, Cripple Creek in Colorado. Um Kind of small place yeah. with a couple slot machines and a couple tables in there, and uh, one or two of them said they had a poker room, but I didn't poke my head in to see them. But I did walk past one on my last day there that looked really, really classy, like you know, um, like a kind that Axel Foley would get thrown out of. And I don't know what the deals are with that. I know, I know, in London, I think you have to pay like a daily membership fee or something to get in. But that one certainly looked like that. Um, it looked really, really elegant. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, just didn't have time to stop in. So, um, but you know, maybe next time. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, before I went over there, uh, we got our totals for the restock the shelves this year and this year's event, um, which, of course, was co-sponsored by us and Blue Shark Optics. Raised enough money and food to feed an estimated 88,715 people. Chris, not bad at all. Oh, man. Huge. More than 20,000 more than uh, last year, which was more than 20,000 more than the year before. So we're growing at 20,000 people a year. Man. Man. So that means over our three years doing this event, we fed just shy of 200,000 people. And that's all thanks to the generosity of dozens of poker venues and thousands of poker players. This year we had 36 venues uh, help us out um, and untold number of players that came out and and supported it. So um, we're going to have a a nice spread in the next magazine with all these great pictures of uh, generosity and people coming out, which is very, very nice. But... um, Really, really do appreciate uh, everybody supporting this event. And again, that's 36 venues. There are more than 500 across North America. So, you know, if we can get more signed up next year, that number is just going to keep going up and up and up. Just, it's just overwhelming. It's remarkable. And I love when the, the photos start pouring in. You see people, they're all happy to be standing with the cans. They're stacking them in a unique way. Or you, know, you find out we're on local news. It was in Mississippi, I think. Yeah, they had a local yeah. news uh, spot about it. And uh, just some excellent, excellent stuff going on here. Really appreciate everyone doing what they did. Really good time. Yeah, uh, that's what we'll be doing again next year. And uh, I haven't really talked to you or Carrie about this, but I think next year what we're going to do is get away from trying to do everything on one day, on Martin Luther King Day, like we have the last couple of years. You know, we've had uh, rooms do events whenever they felt comfortable with it because some of them are closed on Mondays or it doesn't work for them. Oh, yeah. And the big idea is just to get people fed. So, you know, and to tell them, hey, you know, you can't be part of it unless you can do something on that day. So, what we saw this year is we had at least two or three rooms that did collections just for the entire month of January. Um, And one even starting in December through the end of January. So, um, I think next year we'll just make January our big restock month and yeah maybe that'll help to get some some other folks in because you never know you know sometimes poker room managers might look at it and say hey well i'm not open that day i can't participate and, and don't uh, don't take the time to contact us to tell us that when well, we could explain that they could participate so if we open it up more next year then uh, maybe that'll help uh, but, uh, that's smart i remember when we you know when you first said that someone was doing that this year i'm like oh why didn't we think of that you know <laughs> it's smart so yeah that's great i'm open to that totally all right, a little bit of news here this week. Okay, well, it's going on. Nevada Assemblyman Jim Wheeler has filed a bill to lower the gambling age in Nevada to 18. Uh, well, it doesn't sound as if the bill has enough support to pass. Um, I thought it might be a good discussion for us to have on what the gambling age should be. Because here in Florida, for those of you that don't live here, uh, visit it. It is 18 to play poker here. Um and it seems to work out all right. Um, but obviously in uh, casino markets, and we're more of a card room market, but in casino markets it's always been 21 for most places. And uh, there's some reasons for it that I'm sure we'll get to in the middle of this conversation. But uh, where do we come down on this thing? Uh, when you're 18 years old, are you old enough to fight for your country? I believe I am. If I'm old enough to hold a rifle and defend my country, I should be old enough to freaking play poker for a bunny. Uh, well, of course you can. I mean, I don't know if you saw the movie Stripes, but, you know, <laughs> they were playing poker. Yeah, in the barracks. Right, right. But not in some uh, regulated facility down the street. Uh, yeah, I think if you're old enough to, you know, defend your country and, you know, shoot a gun at someone else who's trying to 
take away your freedom, I think you're old enough to be able to gamble and have a drink. So I think you should be, if you're 18, if that's what, you know, if you, if you want to make everything 21, then you can't, you can't defend your country until you're 21. But if you can go out there and fight at 18, you should be able to bet and drink. So that's how I feel. Hmm. You're a man, you're a man or a woman at 18. You're old enough to do whatever you want. You know, it's your life. You're on your own. Basically, you've already gotten all your schooling that you are required to get, you know, and basically the usually people just, you know, they're on their own. They can't wait to be 18 because then they're going to be an adult and do what they want to do. So why shouldn't I be able to go play cards and risk my hard-earned money on it? Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up uh, both gambling and drinking in that because that's one of the reasons that in most places uh, it is 21 is because there is alcohol being served on the floor uh, mm-hmm. or, more specifically, being comped on the floor. And so then it gets difficult. You don't want the cocktail waitress to have to card people like every time they order a drink um, where you're, you, know, you can have everybody... Uh, carded as they come into the facility and not have to worry about it. So that's one of the bigger issues. In fact, we actually saw that here in Florida a couple of years ago because um, a couple of our card rooms actually are allowed to have slot machines. Um, and one of the rooms actually um, didn't keep its poker room separate from its slot machines. And what that meant was that they couldn't allow 18-year-olds to play poker there. Yep. It was a shared floor. Um, <clears throat> so there's an interesting debate when that happened as to whether that was smart or not because you lost... Um, a group of poker players, um, and this was a couple years back. Um, you know, probably when uh, online was around. That you know, either had still was still um, able to be played here, or uh, just soon after that. So you had a lot of eighteen, nineteen, uh, twenty-year-olds that liked to play poker. So the question was whether they were making a bad business decision by turning, uh, not allowing those players to play. Or a good decision uh, financially because now you've got the slot machines commingling with the poker room, and therefore it could add a little bit more revenue. And it makes sense that they went back. So didn't we run into trouble too, where eighteen-year-olds were winning cabins to go on our cruise, but they ha- couldn't be eighteen to be on the cruise. They have an adult to be with them to be taking a cruise or something like that. Didn't that happen? Yeah, once? yeah. You uh, the gambling age on board ships uh, is eighteen, and it's eighteen to play poker in the annual poker room. Right. Um, however, you have to be to sail. You have to be sharing a cabin with someone twenty-one or older. Yeah. So, uh, while you can play, you can't get on the ship because you're twenty-one. Again, I think that's the same thing. It's uh, you know, it's alcohol. Yeah. Hide, right. Um, so it's not so much an adult thing; it's more of a combination of the two um, activities. So that was one of the things that came up in this: is that if it is going to be eighteen, you know, what what do casinos in Nevada do about that? Do they now separate alcohol and gaming on the floor, or do they have to come up with some really different um, ID checking methods, which will probably be very annoying? As someone like me who looks younger, at least I did back then. <laughs> yeah, you don't <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you, you can imagine um, <clears throat> the, the liability risk that casinos are taking now when they allow 18-year-olds to, on the floor with gambling and they have to constantly be checking that for drinks. Yeah, so, the cocktail server's coming up to them and you're like, oh, now they got to check IDs. Now your cocktail server's got to be, you know, able to read IDs and see IDs. And, and that's just... Wow. I'm mean, just lower the drinking age. Yeah, I think you're going to find less support for that <laughs> than you will for this. And this already has little support. But um, but it is interesting that those two things are tied, and that's really what's causing it. I don't think this is uh, – I, 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 I did see a lot of the um, 
the chatter about this and who's against it, who's for it, but I'm going to guess the, those who are against it is because of that. It's just because it's a nightmare in enforcing with alcohol. Whereas if they were both lower, then they probably wouldn't worry about it. Um, or both at 21 like it is now, it's just easier. Um, and again, I mean, I don't want to minimize the uh, the insurance and liability factors. Those are big deals for, for casinos uh, right. or anybody dealing with um, um, alcohol sales. So, um, <clears throat> you know, again, it's different here in, in, in Florida because we don't have, it's just poker and paramutual and, and almost all of our casinos here or our card rooms here. Um, and that's a different story. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with it, but uh, it doesn't sound promising, but it's a good discussion to have. Well, do you agree with me, though, that they they should be able to gamble at 18? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, okay. I think. Um, you know, obviously the concern is, that, you know, it's weird because I mean, we can have these age discussions all the time, and we have, right? Right. You know, you got to have a – there's got to be an age number attached to this stuff because it's got to be consistent, right? But what we all know are there are some 18-year-olds that are more mature than some 35-year-olds, right? And there's some 18-year-olds that aren't as mature as 10-year-olds. Right. <laughs> so it really has nothing to do. I mean, you don't go to bed on age 17, 364 days and wake up the next day a completely different person, right? Yeah. So it's just a, a date on the calendar. Um, so, I mean, they have to pick a date for all kinds of things, you know, getting your license to drive, you know, gambling, fighting in wars, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it is a compelling argument that, uh, you know, if you could die for your country, you should be able to gamble or drink. Um, now, obviously, there's some public health concerns with, you know, that level of age uh, here in the States where it's a little bit different than in some of these other countries where people... Um, learn to drink more responsibly uh, earlier on in life (laughs) than here where you go crazy when you uh, you go to college. So uh, I I think we're going to continue to have those discussions uh, for a long time. But we'll see. Uh, Anti-updates. Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi will host two anti-up poker tour series this year. The first, the Pearl River Spring Poker Classic, runs March 24th to April 2nd with the winner of the main event appearing on the May cover of Annie Up magazine. And the second, the Pearl River Poker Open, will be scheduled this fall. For more information, visit AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Pearl River. Also, PokerRadius.com is a great poker networking site that is home to the Annie Up Group discussions. Basic memberships are free, and you get access to the Annie Up Group discussions. And upgraded memberships get you access to discounts on poker products and automatic entries to contests. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from David G. He said, after hearing me... Say I missed all those poker days that I talked about. He said, I thought I would email in. Perhaps you could read it on air. I love that on air. Yeah. He says, uh, I miss high stakes poker, learning how to play tournament poker, uh, and, uh, and watching the professional poker tour. Do you remember the PPT? I do, yeah. They only had like, what, a couple episodes, right? Yeah, yeah. Mark Safe was one of the hosts. Yeah. I forget who else, but yeah. I, and I had a, I actually, a friend of mine sent me the PPT shirt. 
and it was too small, so I never wore it. But it sat. And I kept it in the closet, thinking it might be worth money someday because this tore you know, all belly up. So I don't know, maybe uh, I could sell it to somebody. But uh, and he says I miss spending one hour. Uh, converting a Poker F Dark episode from my PC to play in my very small media player to watch it in bed. I could have used my PC, uh, but would have needed a crane. It was so heavy. Uh, he misses 30% rake back on Full Tilt Poker with rake back pros. Breaking even wasn't so bad then. Uh, he missed seeing Shauna Hyatt for the first time and subsequently tried to download her Playboy video on a very slow dial-up connection. Managed to get after three days of waiting, he said. Boy, I hate the dial-up. <laughs> uh, I miss watching late-night rail sessions online and players on Party Poker getting it in pre-flop with deuce-deuce in $200 no limit. He misses watching some of the TV characters, especially Mike Matiso. And uh, he says, I miss being consumed by poker every day, uh, reading and listening to podcasts, but what he doesn't miss is Annie Up because we are still here. Yes, that's right. We are still here. Yep, yep. I don't know how we're doing it, but we're still here. <laughs> we are still around. Yeah, I was. It was. I really enjoyed reading that. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and it is. It's a slice of slice of time that we all went through. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore, and probably won't exist ever again. Um, you know, hate to say that, but um, it, even if we do get online poker back and and generate some of that money again, it, it won't be like it was back then. I don't think. Yeah, it'll never go back to that. That's for sure. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing in some cases, but a lot of this, yeah, I really miss a lot of this stuff, and uh, it was a good times. Well, you know, and this is a good letter coming a week after I think it was last week's show when we or two weeks uh, two weeks ago when we had the, our Australian fan ask about you know worried about online poker yeah. in this country and and what to expect. This is actually <laughs> a really good list of how exciting, how much fun we all had back in the, those days. Um, with what was possible back then, and all the stuff is pretty much gone now. Almost all of it. Yeah. Um, because online poker is pretty much gone now. So. Hmm. Hey, you find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. It comes from Dave Beeson. Says, I was playing in a 4 8 limit Omaha 8 game at a casino that was down to five players. Uh, there was a 1 2 no limit hold'em game that was in the same situation. The floor consulted with players at both tables who all agreed to combine into one game and trade off rounds of Omaha and hold'em. One of the hold'em players had never played Omaha before, got a quick lesson from a dealer who was not currently dealing, and told us all of, of his noobishness. I don't know what that means. <laughs> noobishness? I don't know what that means. <laughs> Uh, these are the first time ever players, first Omaha hand ever, made it to showdown against one of the regular Omaha players and one of the Holden players. There was a potential low on the board, and this new player, facing a bet and last to act, flashes his cards and asks the dealer, I don't think there is a low, is there? We could all see he had a se- the second nut low. The dealer said he couldn't tell him if the board qualified for a low. One of the regular Omaha players, who wasn't in the hand, kind of groaned, looked at the dealer and said, it's his first hand, can we help him? The better said, no. The dealer shook his head. The player mucked and thankfully didn't seem too upset after being told the reasonable strength of his low. Questions. How out of line was the player who suggested the table help the first time? Oh, the first timer. Uh, I think he was looking out for the game, not just this player. Should the floor reprimand the player who tried to help? Should the better have told this player he had a low? 
What if the better had the nut low in addition to the high? Would it have been dishonest to tell the first-time player he had a qualifying low? And should the floor reprimand the better for talking uh, this player into calling? All right, Elliot says, combining a no-limit Hold'em game with a limit Omaha 8 game was a novel idea, and we would have to assume that they were the only games running at the time. I appreciate the players being open-minded about this. While the intentions were good, it is apparent that reality had other things in mind. The Omaha newbie got a quick lesson from the dealer on break, which deserves kudos for the dealer and the poker room. Instead of uh, taking more time with the lesson, however, the newbie sat down at the new combined table and played tacitly declaring his readiness to play by the rules of the house. So let's address your questions. Number one, the player that suggested the group assistance for the newbie was out of line. One player to a hand is a fundamental rule of the game for many reasons. In this case, it opens doors to, uh, to those players that would want to maximize the chance of the better, who is the experienced Omaha player, losing uh, the pot to a player that would have been more likely to lose chips back to the rest of the players at the table. His intentions were probably good, as you say, but we can't read his or anybody else's minds. We don't know for sure. Uh, two, yes, one player to hand must be upheld in uh, all cases in a casino poker room. It is posted on the wall for many good reasons. A reprimand in this case need not be overly stern or threatening, but merely a reminder that the rule still applies to one and all. Uh, question three, no, he should not have read his hand while uh, the betting was incomplete. Assistance of this type in the middle of the hand is not acceptable. I'm quite impressed by the amount of players trying to step in and help this player with the play of his hand. An amazing group of Samaritans they are. <laughs> Uh, number four, uh, see the answers to number two and three. A lot of people would argue that doing anything to induce a call when holding the best hand is just part of the game. In this situation, the downside of losing this player's future cooperation to combine games or even eliminate any of his interest in playing Omaha far outweighs the upside of an $8 bet. Also, it is likely certain that the rumors of this story won't help this Omaha game find new players. And number five, the answer is yes and no. Yes, a warning is called for the better with specifically using the contents of the hand of the newbie and offering specific advice in violation of the one player to a hand rule. No dual warning if it was more standard coffee housing, such as asking questions, staring, and the like. I'm fairly certain you were referring to the former, though. To summarize, one player to a hand and one player, uh, one hand to a player is a rule that keeps uh, our game a poker both fair and orderly. It must be upheld in all circumstances, even when newbies are present. Okay. I'm, I'm fine with all that. I don't know. <laughs> That's a long, a lot of stuff to say there, so I'm fine. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the, the big take out here is that the, the person offering the help, uh, I, I've seen these scenarios before, not not necessarily this kind of scenario, which has um, got a lot more layers to it, but uh, I, I think there are players out there that don't understand you know, what harm comes from helping a new player understand because they are often looking out for uh, making sure that player wants to stay around and play. It's always good, right? That's part of the reason people gravitate to online when they could because they don't get in trouble for not understanding the rules, right? Right. Um, and certainly in this case, in trying to uh, get people to combine a game. Um, but... But there are a whole lot of dangers for for doing that kind of help. So you know what I told Dave in this case is you know you know as soon as the hand is over, there's no shame in telling the player, hey, yeah, you had a low there. Um, it's all right. It's your first hand. You're going to learn it. Um, but you can't interject in the middle of the hand. Yeah, it, just, it causes too much trouble. Yeah. So. Yeah, no reprimand for the guy. The guy was asking. It's his first hand. Can we say so? no? He didn't actually do anything. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's more the guy trying to help. But right. Again, it's, and, and I like how Elliot said that. It doesn't have to be overly stern or threatening, but merely a reminder. And that's what it is. So yep. a warning kind of sounds, you know, really. Yeah, a little harsh. 
harsh, but it's not. It's just, hey, just it's a reminder. reminder. Yeah. So, you know, hey, I understand what you're trying to do, and you're noble for it, but, you know, we, we can't let that. He's going to have to learn the game as he learns the game. Yep. So, as long as you do that all nicely, no one should have a problem, right? That's right. Oh, we get to wrap up uh, on O'Malley's move today. Uh, here comes part one, and then we'll uh, we'll come back on the other side with our reaction. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are still in that 50-person, $100 buy-in tournament. We're down to four-handed, with the rest of the payouts being $1,900, $1,200, $750, $450. We have 12 big blinds and are in third place. We post our small blind, big blind posts behind us, the under-the-gun shoves for 10 big blinds, and the player directly to our right the big stack at the table shoves for his 30 big blinds. It's to us, and we look down at the 10 of hearts, 10 of clubs. So, are we making our stand here? What's the move? I'm folding. Uh, the big stack could be just isolating, but if we beat him but lose to the short stack, we still lose half of our small stack. So for this call to really work, we have to win the whole pot, which might be dicey with up to four over cards to dodge. I prefer to, to hope the big stack eliminates the short stack so we move up a pay spot and get position on the next hand where we can be uh, the first one in. Uh, plus, the big blind might come along too, uh, this hand, so a chance uh, he too could be eliminated or adding to the possibility that we will be. Seems like an easy fold. Plus, like you said, we can move up in pay without doing anything. Um, as Dan Negreanu says, they're just tens. I don't remember him saying that. Did yeah, he said, he said to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here comes part two. Hello again. The difference between fourth and third is $300, making our overall profit 650 Of course, that is if we fold and the big blind loses. I know there's that thought process of going for first rather than third, but when you're in the thick of it, $300 is $300. When it comes down to it, I really don't want to go up against four cards. We fold. The under-the-gun tables the ace of clubs, queen of diamonds, and the big stack shows down the five of spades, five of clubs. Interesting. The board runs out the ace of spades, four of spades, deuce of hearts, tray of spades, ten of spades, giving us a set but the big stack a flush. Hey, we've made third place money. Results oriented aside, did we make the right move here? Until next time, I hope to see you on the felt. Uh, obviously, at these points in the tournament, you have to consider the situation as much as you're holding, and I think O'Malley did the proper consideration here. Yeah, uh, the, the fold was easy to me, and like you said, we, we go up in pay grade, and now we've got you know a good spot to get it all in before anybody else does if we get a good hand, and we moved up in money. We gained a ton of money right there. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't have felt that way when he saw that five come, right? But, yeah. Um, but, or I'm sorry, the 10. The, the 10, yeah. The 10, yeah, I'm sorry, the 10. But the flush got there, so. Yeah. This is Daniel Negreanu of FullContactPoker.com. You're listening to Anti-Up. All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations podcast at HandingUpMagazine.com. If you have won something from us in the past year, we'll get you a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And this one comes from an old friend, BitGuru. BitGuru. 
And uh, I think this might be our first hand of the week from MGM National Harbor outside Washington, D.C. Wow. He was playing 1-3-0 right there at that uh, poker room that opened uh, just a couple months ago. Um, and he says, I'm in uh, the three seat with about $300. Bill is in the four seat and has me covered. Uh, a few hands back, I opened the betting and leap position for $11 after a few lippers, and it folded around, so maybe I have a tight image at this table. But the next hand of that, I also opened for 11 and got $5, so maybe not. <laughs> Uh, the villain has several times taken down the pot with fairly large bets, each time exposing his cards and showing he was bluffing. Uh, but also, he once had the nuts, 7-8 uh, with a 5-6-9 jack ace on the board. And when someone bent into him, Hollywood, for so long that everyone else at the table was rolling their eyes. So he's not always bluffing. He eventually showed in the original, uh, shoved, uh, and the original bidder called probably correctly because he was uh, kind of short-stacked. Uh, all right, so we have ace-ace. And it's folded us in early position. Uh, what what cash game was it again? One three. Yeah, I mean, on the ship, that's our favorite game when we play. So it's the raises are usually ten, twelve, or fifteen. So whatever the standard raise is, I'm not going to not raise with it. So if it's twelve, make it twelve. If it's ten, make it ten. If it's fifteen, make it fifteen. Whatever, but roughly that. Yeah, it looks like he's uh, he's done 11 twice, although once he has some limpers, so that's probably a little too light. But um, but yeah, if 11 has been a standard bet, then let's keep it 11 and conceal our hand, right? Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, he decides to bet 13. No problem uh, with that. Right? And, uh, yep, absolutely. It's you know, anywhere between 10 and 15 is probably right. a problem. Um, although I would wonder, an astute person would probably wonder why he had the extra $2 there, particularly when he didn't have any callers. But that actually might disguise your hand more. Yeah. You really want to get to that level of thinking. But uh, He says the villain the three other players call. So $58 in the pot after the rake. And the flop is 7-8 Jack Rainbow. And we are first to act. Wow, that's a lot of callers. Man. Um, well, I still think that we have to bet. It's a pretty good flop for us. I mean, 9-10 could screw us. Somebody could be calling with 7-8. It's very odd that someone would have jack-8 or jack-7. So, really, they're just you know, there's pocket-7s, pocket-8s, pocket-jacks, maybe. Um, but you have to bet. You can't just sit there and whatever. Um, so, there's like almost 60 in the pot. Uh, I don't know, 40? 35-40? Yeah, this is at least a 30 for me. Like yeah. Half the pot is probably fine here. Um... I mean, it is draw heavy, as far as you know. If somebody could have pocket nines, nine, ten, and already have it, you want to try to get something, get some information from this bet. You know, um, if you bet too little, anybody with any random nine, you know, nine eight is drawing, is getting hit in the gutter here on us or something, or even jack ten. You know, you want to make sure that they're going to pay something to enjoy the the turn. Right. Absolutely. All right. Our hero bets thirty one. Uh, the villain calls and the other players fold. All right, so we succeed in getting heads up, which is, I think, what we wanted to do here. Right. And with 120 in the pot, the turn is another 7, so our board is 7, 8, jack, 7. And still no flush draw out there, and we are still first to act. Yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think... You know, if someone just had a lone 7, I don't think they're going to call 31 bucks. Um, especially since we raised pre-flop and then bet pretty automatically, unless they believe we had something like Ace King, 
and they hit their seven, they might call. Um, but it's hard to imagine a, a naked seven being out there. So really, this doesn't do anything. Um, so I don't know. Uh, 80 bucks? 60, 70, 80, somewhere in that area? I'm probably betting. I mean, I'm not going to yeah, not bet. A, again, a half pot seems fine to me. and That'd be 60. Yeah. Not opposed to a little bit more, although we started with 300. Yeah, okay. So, uh, 60 to 80. I, I don't mind anywhere in between in there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Our hero decides to bet 75 using three green chips. And he says, minor point, but I probably should have used red chips instead. Yes. Always like to have more chips in there. It makes it look bigger. <laughs> no, it does. You know, that's, you know, when, when people ask. Why well, I guess you know spread four eight instead of five ten because five ten would naturally be easier um, for people like me that just like order in life, right? Yeah. Uh, the reason is because it makes the pots look bigger, and the pots the bigger the pot looks, um, you know, the the more money people are willing to commit. Um, in no limit, I think, is the opposite though. When you put three chips out, that it doesn't seem like a big deal, you know even though that chip is five times more valuable than the other one in your stack. Yeah. But, you know, if you're able to, uh, you know, put almost a whole stack of red out there, then it looks like a bigger bet, psychologically. Yeah. Probably not that big a deal, but, you know, you know you're at the poker table, you're looking for every edge you can get, right? So. Boy, do we miss Scott Long online poker, don't we? <laughs> Seeing Scott's 199-unit bets and... 49-unit bets. It's effective. Yeah, it's effective at making us laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so he bet seventy five. That's a that's a healthy bet. So we said right between sixty yeah, and eighty. Exactly. So it's pretty healthy. It's, you know, unless we're already unless we're getting the our dog is being walked here. I think we're making the proper bets here to avoid getting sucked out on here. Um, all right, uh, villain thinks it over briefly and pushes all in. So the raise is three hundred thirteen dollars, or uh, total bet is three hundred thirteen or two hundred thirty eight on top of our seventy five. Uh, but we only have 180 left, so effectively we're all in if we decide to make this call. Well, I guess if we had more experience with this guy, we might be able to determine what type of player would do this if he didn't. You know, if he had the nuts, why is he doing it? If he had close to the nuts, why is he doing it? You know, if if he had a huge hand, why wouldn't he just let us keep betting since he has position? Why is he is he trying to force us off something? You know, if he really had that seven... He can't imagine we have nine ten. So if he really had that naked seven or even a full house, what's he betting for? Unless he's absolutely convinced that we can't fold, and that's why he did it. So you have to really assess that. To me, I don't know. It's hand of the week. We always lose hand of the week. It seems, but I I don't know if I go away with this. I I, I, don't, I think that seven helps me if anything because you know he could have had Jack and then on the river he could pair another one and get two pair. But we already have a better two pair. If he had Jack eight somehow. Jackson eights. Now we've got a better two pairs. So I mean, in a way, it kind of helps if he doesn't have a seven. Anyway, it's a nine, ten that we have outs. So we still have outs. Exactly. If it's seven or yes, an eight, we're probably in, in bad shape here. But yeah, um, yeah, it's a two outer then if it's if it's a seven. But if it's not, if he has a straight, we still have outs. If he has two pair, we've got him crushed. So I I don't know. I I don't know if I'm gonna fold here. I, I just I don't know. I got my two pair. I got aces up. And uh, if he had a set, it just feels like if he's in position and he's got us crushed, why would he want to shove now? You know, and he's the guy who bluffs before too, right? You were saying? 
Yeah, so I mean, here's the thing: is the raise is really substantial. So if he has nine, ten here, or he has a boat, that seems to be a fairly ridiculous raise. It's probably not going to get called enough to make it profitable for him, right? Right. So I'm going to take those two out. So, and the other thing is that obviously our limited experience with him is that he likes to bet big and bluff. Um, though obviously we've seen a situation where he hasn't bluffed, but that's exactly the success of those kind of players game, right? Right. Is you keep showing these bluffs, then people start thinking you don't have it, and then at one point they're going to wake up and you're going to wake up with a hand and you're going to give to commit the chips because they're going to be more likely to commit their chips to you because of it. So that's always a little wrinkle in this. So, you know, I, I'm going to feel bad for a big guru here if he decides to call and this guy turns over a boat. <laughs> right. Or nine ten that we don't improve on, because he you know he got us he trapped us at that point. But but I think all things at this point um, point to us needing to have to, to make this call. It just seems like a really big overbet. You know if you're trying to bet kind of big enough that you know might discourage someone, but they're going to think it's not big enough. You you could make that bet big uh, smaller than that. Um, but this just seems like too big of a bet. I think he's trying to to win this pot and, and scare us off. I'm not gonna be scared. Yeah, what hand calls? I mean, what hand calls 31 with a naked seven? Like, I mean, what what naked seven hand calls the raise preflop and then calls a 31 dollar bet to make trips on that? So, you know, if it's seven eight and he's got a boat, why is he trying to force us off a hand? Right? I just don't see it. I don't see. Well, the other thing too is if you have a seven here, you know, you can't put us on a, a drawing hand at that point, right? Right. It's gonna get there. So why not just make the call now? give us the option of betting one more time on the river where you can raise at that point and maybe now we're committed at that point which we probably would be right if we just called the 75 now then the pot's going to be 270 on the river yeah 270 so we're committed so at that point we're going to bet we're going to put our whole stack in right yeah and you've already done it anyway so then you're going to get our stack if that's the case and if not then we're going to check and then you're going to make a bet that makes us feel like we have to call it anyhow so you know, if you want our chips and you've got a good hand, and I say a good hand is any any seven at this point is a good hand. I would say in this spot, uh, I'm just going to call here and and then try to get it in on the river. So yeah, it really does scream like a bluff to me. So I'm going to call. Okay, me too. All right, uh, River says the effective pot size is 450, uh, but I would be risking my remaining 180 to call. I decide to fold. Hmm. Villain scoops up the pot and shows 10-8, so we flopped middle pair with an inside straight draw and didn't approve on the turn. Uh, I got my chips back from the villain about an hour later. The board was 9-10, king deuce with two clubs. A short stack had gone all in on the flop, and we both called. Villain shoved on the turn, uh, and holding king nine, I figured my two pair were likely good for at least a side pot, so I called. Villain was holding the 10 deuce of clubs for two pair and a flush draw. Short stack was holding Jack Queen for a flop straight. The river was another king, so I ended up taking the main pot in addition to the side pot. Short stack was irate, but I guess he had no reason to expect that he needed to dodge 17 outs. Uh, yeah, I think that was a tight fold there. Sorry. I do too. Uh, what's weird is that the guy did prove me wrong, though, uh, because I was talking about a random seven calling a raise and then calling 31 on one pair. This guy called a raise with 10-8. I know he was in position, but he called it with 10-8, then called a $31 bet with a pair, a middle pair and a gut shot. It didn't get there, and he shoved because that's his MO, as he just, 
you know, he bluffs big when he thinks everyone's going to be tight and fold. And I just couldn't put him on an E7 there. Of course, he could have had 10-7. That's the, you know what I mean? He could have had that hit because that's how horrible he played 10-8. So well, I would say it's also it's an effective bet to be made in the one three game. I think where people tend to be more scared than they are at higher limits. I think right. Yeah, maybe. So I think at this point, I mean, we're obviously sitting here analyzing it for the last half an hour. Um, obviously, uh, Big Guru didn't have a half an hour to analyze the hand at the time, uh, nor does anybody else read a one three. So what this guy was probably playing on was the fact that that seven is out there. So you know at one three level, I think you get a lot of players that look at the board and say, "Oh my gosh, what can I beat here?" and not really think about what our opponent has, which is really what we're always supposed to be thinking, right? Yeah. So at that point, uh, it's a pretty, pretty uh, uh, high expectation bet that he can make there, and then he also had the the redraw to uh, to you know catch us if we did have better than that uh, with the straights so I mean it's a good spot for him to be doing that for a couple of reasons um, you know you would have been upset had you and I been there because we would have called but uh, but he won a pretty big pot here by doing it and I suspect that he does that enough that uh, when he occasionally loses that pot it makes up for it and you know um, Big Guru can you know he can take solace in the fact that he got the money back from him anyway, or that you know you never know what the river would have brought. He could have bought another another eight or a nine. So, you know, what I mean, so he may have lost anyway. But true. Right. But in That's the true. grand scheme of things, if it, if you had the mo on the way the guy plays, and you just took your time a little longer, maybe you would have arrived at a different a different uh, decision. You know, I I definitely was calling because it it was it would it seemed like decent pot odds too. I mean, you have an over pair that is disguised. Um, not disguised, but I'm not saying he's playing his cards face up, right. but but I mean it's it's bigger than just a jack, or you know he may not have put you on something that strong, or but that was a huge huge overbet. If you had if you had him if you had you beat, why would he bet that much? That's the question I always want to ask. And I know there's a whole back in the you know the heyday of online poker. There's always that one player that would shove on the end, and everyone would say why so much, and then they call and he'd see why because they knew you'd call you dumbass. Right, yeah. But you know in this case it just doesn't seem like that because the guy had a tendency to do that a lot. So, but you got his money, so that that works out, and you got to be on the show again. Haven't had you on the show in a while, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm Chris Costenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.